I'm David Clayton, and this is the Way of Beauty podcast, conversations on Catholic faith and culture. I'm with my friend Charlie Deist, who is not only the technician, he also keeps me on track with occasional questions and timely summarizations. This is episode 20, the prayer life that will help us create the cloister in the cul-de-sac. God be in our thoughts and words and deeds, send your Holy Spirit to guide us that we may complete your will, grace responding to grace. May the beauty of our work inspire those who see it to love as Christ loved, that through worship of you and charity to others, all may know his peace and joy. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so we're still indoors. Uh, cold weather is uh, still here in Berkeley, cold relative to uh, to our sort of uh, sensitive sensibilities, being so used to. The, the, the warm weather. Uh, and last time we left off talking about parish community uh, outside of the sort of Sunday activities and the, the mass, uh, outside of the church itself, you know, what can we do to build communities in our parish? Yes. And we're still talking about that today. Uh, we're going more deeply into uh, a few of these areas or where are we starting today? Well, I thought that today what we would do is consider the starting point um, even though we're covering it last starting point in our uh, the consideration really of those who want to do this and that is prayer that, that all of this if it's going to happen comes out of uh, our prayer and our relationship with God uh, in fact which is the most important thing and the uh, philosophy behind this is if that we do the prayer of community the community will come uh, I was just reading an article, in fact, about um, a nun who finally found uh, an order of nuns that suited her late in life, having searched for years and years and, and struggling to find um, a community that suited her. And I don't know the particulars of her situation. There may be uh, certain uh, things that mean that this doesn't apply. But I would say that... Um, there's no reason why we can't be religious as lay people. We can't do what religious people do. Um, and we begin on our own by doing the, the prayers, adopting an attitude of life. And my belief is that uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will find like-minded people. And even if we don't, that is going to deepen our participation in the church and give us a sense of being in that wider community which does exist even if we're not directly in contact with those people so this is the idea behind it another thing that i i saw recently was um and again i don't know the exact particulars about this but uh, it was an, an article in which um a, a lot of nuns it was it was a convent again had um, d decided to leave the convent because the local bishop had been uh, interfering in what the convent was allowed to do. And so the thrust of the article was that this was um, not a great thing because this was a, a traditional orthodox uh, community and the bishop, who was not, um, had uh, in some way interfered with what was doing. And... and so these communities are at the mercy of uh, superiors and members of the church who might want to delve into what's going on uh, adversely. Now, there's always two sides to a story. We don't know what, what exactly was going on there. But it occurred to me 
really that this point occurred to me again that uh, we can be religious uh, the, people can get together and do these things uh, if they want to and nobody can stop them um, it's only if they become formally incorporated into the institution of the church that the uh, the church as an institution and that means therefore the people that are within it in the positions of authority can do something now in many t many t times there's a, there are great advantages to this uh, people would want this uh, and historically this has been the, the practice so i'm not against this at all but it, i'm just encouraging people to think about the fact that we are not limited by this official endorsement from up on high uh, we can go ahead and do it as, as baptized members of the church we can be the religious we want to be and uh, my f faith tells me that when we do that we will find the fellowship that we we seek yeah i've thought a lot about this and i've been drawn to a kind of monastic life ever since i was baptized and trying to find you know the the uh, ideal existing community has uh, at times felt like you know maybe maybe it's the the wrong quest and that seems to be the underlying theme of this whole series that we're doing right now is that rather than trying to find some existing community that embodies what you think the ideal should be kind of work incrementally and uh, as we keep coming back to that line about the, the succeeding is in the trying, yes. whatever you you sow will in the spiritual realm be reaped, you know, tenfold. Yes, I, I would agree with that. And um, so here are some of the, the, the basic principles that I'm going to suggest. Uh, and these, these are what I try to follow. Um, and I'm setting out ideals here. So I want to stress this, first of all. These are things that are not destroyed if you don't do them perfectly. It's good to do this partially, or as you were just saying, to try it and do it badly. As Chesterton once said, if a thing's worth doing, it's worth doing badly. And oh, that, I apply that to uh, sailing and many other <laughs> uh, arts in my life. Yeah, you know, I've noticed you do a lot of things badly, so that I can bear that out. <laughs> Podcast, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I'm, I'm just joking. But um, so... Here, here are the things that I think. I aim to pray to mark the, the um, moments in the day um, according to the principle of seven plus one. Remember the seven is the number of the old covenant and then through Christ, uh, the, the eighth day, we have the new covenant. And so the Sabbath was on Saturday and the day of mass is on Sunday, seven plus one. And traditionally in the divine office, uh, really quoting the psalmist, uh, the St. Benedict in his rule said, we, uh, we aim to pray seven times a day, or referring to the psalmist, I can't remember the exact quote now. Um, and then he says, we rise at midnight uh, as well. So it's that principle of seven plus one. And so we start to look for a structure that allows us to do that. Now that sounds daunting, I know, that to a lot of people. And so we don't begin with that, but we just have that in mind. And um, even if um, when we start to implement those additional hours, I would suggest you start with just one and, do, and get used to doing that. That's what I started with 20 years ago. Um, 
But as you start, to, what will happen is if you, you begin somewhere, and if you take to this, certainly this is my experience, you will want to deepen it and to broaden it. And so move into other occasions of prayer. And it doesn't mean automatically that you have to do all the Psalms. You can just do a, a, a little prayer to mark the middle of the day, the middle of each afternoon, the mm. when you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, the evening and the morning, th these sort of things. And, um, and so, God, how yeah. meticulously would you say you track that or do you have enough of a routine at this point, having done it for some number of years that is it like clockwork or is there more flexibility uh well the regard to the time it's 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 flexible so uh i don't have noon for middle of the day I, I try to but i just try and do something in the middle of the day and then i now do have a pattern where i do eight eight times and i've worked out a routine whereby i know that i'm following eight times and um supposing i'm traveling or something um i don't get bothered if i miss out it, i find that actually i don't like my routine to be disturbed and i find it very difficult if i'm not in my normal routine to to follow this uh, i can see now why uh the benedictine monks have this vow of stability it it, it, it enables this uh, natural rhythm to almost to tell us when to do it um but I, I do have, I, I will describe later on what, what I do, um, but uh, I, I have developed a pattern. Um, and I'm going to talk also about how I, a little bit more about how I gradually introduce this. Um, so, seven, the number of times, seven plus one in the day. And then the other thing is aim for a pattern of prayer that is, uh, contains these elements. It is liturgical paraliturgical and personal and I get this from Benedict the 16th who in his little paper on the new evangelization said this is the pattern of prayer that uh, in the that will give us that supernatural transformation that will so that we shine with the light of Christ is what he's talking about and draw others into the church and the the goal of this is ultimately his union with God and he's saying that if we just follow what is the end of the Christian life then we will become evangelists and so what he was asserting was what is the uh, the structure really of all good prayer not just for the new evangelist so uh, liturgical prayer is the formal worship of the church uh, paraliturgical prayer are things such as um, structured devotions the rosary that have this pattern and can be done with others. Um, if you have litanies, for example, I, I, I'm not a great fan of the, the rosary personally. Um, I've never got on with it well, but I quite like litanies. And I do a litany every day as one of my occasions of prayer. And it's just a, um, I invoke certain saints and, and it's done to a sort of formula that I've worked out. And so what I've thought about it in advance and so when I pray it, I know I, it, what, all the things that I know that it signifies and that it's asking for that are not said explicitly, if you like, um, come to mind as I do it. And then personal prayer is something that is outside this formal structure where I, I'm just talking to God as I'm talking to you and then hopefully listening to God as well and, 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 and 
reading what he's saying to me, so to speak. Um, and all of this derives its power, um, if I could use that phrase, from being centred on uh, the, the, the formal liturgy of the church which takes place in the church building. So Sunday Mass, or if you're in the Eastern Rite, the Divine Liturgy. Uh, so this is a, 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 a structure which has the Sunday uh, worship as its central point and then we're extending that out into the week, across the days, and then within the day, across the hours, with different sorts of activity. Okay. The importance of having prayer, I think, at the, the foundation of this should be pretty evident. I mean, if we're trying to uh, construct a DIY monastic lifestyle, you know, it would be easy for, for it to become unmoored if it didn't have something like a, a rich prayer life at the at the foundation. I remember one of the uh, priests who I spoke to early on uh, after I'd become, uh, after joining the Catholic Church um, about spiritual direction, he told me that, you know, this wasn't going to be some sort of, it wasn't a relationship like, a, you know, a guru and a disciple. It wasn't like he would be you know, telling me what to do in the specific areas of my life, it would be more about just monitoring uh, my prayer life. And I think that that's been one of the principles that I've tried to take with me is that, uh, you know, more than worrying about what I'm doing in a specific instance and fretting about, uh, you know, did I get this right or did I, should I have done something different, which can lead to a whole cycle of just, uh, regret and, and mm. self-flagellation or, you know, it's, it's not productive. But if you have the sense that you are uh, throughout the day, you know, in touch with, with, with God in some way, then it seems like you can't stray too far from the, the narrow path. I, I think so. And again, to come back to my old mentor, David, who I refer to so often, uh, I think I said before, he always used to quote St. Augustine, love God and do what you want. Mm. And loving God begins with prayer and, and prayer begins with worship. Um, and it means also trying to lead a good and moral life uh, and follow the teachings of the church, doing our best to do that. But as long as we're giving that our best shot, um, I think whatever happens, we can face without fear that um, thy will be done is a is a fact not an aspiration um, and it means that sometimes we have to deal with things that, that we don't like that are permitted for the for a greater good that perhaps we can't even understand and so that's how i get uh, develop that attitude that you're describing of doing doing my best not being uh, so worried if i fail uh, that i just give up altogether i, I always try and resolve to do better but then also the ideal to aim for is one of a, an optimism that it's going to work out in the end, even if the end is heaven. It's beyond this life. There is an end which is good and is guaranteed if I'm, if I'm doing what I can. And so I don't need to be neurotic or worried about this. It's, God has great, great mercy and love. Yeah. With that said, why don't we talk a little bit about some of the risks of uh, working outside of an institution or some of these existing forms of religious life. You mentioned the convent of Orthodox nuns, uh, but in a lot of cases we might be 
talking about you know groups that are are not as centered on uh, an orthodox tradition um, what might we be wary of in trying to form initiatives or, or other practices community practices outside of the church uh, and and in forming our our personal monasticism well I, th I think um, what I would be wary of is um, unnatural impingements upon personal freedom um, so the, the immediate worry is is this a cult for example if you met a group of people and they're not allied allied to anything they're just doing it alone but um, th those those sort of communities will have some sort of figure at the top who's exerting authority um, which is unnatural and so I would watch out for that I wouldn't do that I'm suggesting really more that this is something that we do uh, look at its merits and say is this in accord with the teachings of the church for me as a layperson and the community develops is simply one whereby other people are doing this with me um, it's once we start getting into commitments that require authority then I would start to examine that very carefully I would start to test that out um, if it's asking sacrifices of me which um, you know, monetary or something like that I would start to be very wary and that's not what I'm suggesting here I'm suggesting that we imagine that that there are people who want to do this with me freely and of their own choice um, once you get to the stage of forming, a, creating a more formal community, should that happen, and I imagine for most of us it won't be. We, we will be doing this, we'll be meeting occasionally, we'll be doing things voluntarily with friends, and the community is really the parish. But supposing this becomes so strong that rather like the, uh, the mendic I think it's the mendicant orders in the Middle Ages, a lot of those began as lay movements, even... Um, the Oratorians, uh, St. Philip Neri, gathered lay people around him and they just gathered together for prayer. Um, and at a certain point, they formalised the, inst the institution of it because they decided that the fruits of it were good. Uh, and the church discouraged many as, as well. I think the Franciscans initially didn't even want... To, I, I, I'm not an expert in their history, but uh, they began... Uh, to grow organically and the sign that there was something good going on that their practice was liturgical uh, was not that what they did so much followed the rules that were laid out because those rules didn't exist in terms of their the Franciscan order for example it's more that um, the fruits of it were good and there was nothing contrary to church mm. teaching um, so I, I would say with all of these things uh, it's good to have a spiritual director. Sounds like you had a good one. And you ask, well, is there anything wrong with this? Is this guy Clayton? He's suggesting I do these things. What do you think? Um, and always subject to it, scrutiny and, and uh, ask whether it comes in the light of church teaching, whether it's good. Uh, but I'm not, as I, I want to stress, I'm not suggesting the creation of cults here. This is about people adopting to do to do a certain pra practice of prayer which I think as far as I can tell and I'm willing to be told otherwise it's not the case but uh, is in accordance with what the church is looking from us looking for from us um, and if you then find other people who want to do it too why not do it together right so it's by your fruits you will know them 
Yes, I and would say so. Let's summarize what we talked about last time in terms of specific things. Just to recap, what uh, what kinds of things have you looked at? What have we implemented around here? You know, we have our uh, kind of community dinners, potlucks that accompany the vespers, singing the psalms and uh, the the singing portion of the uh, the liturgy of the hours. Uh, other kind of meals seem to be a, a pretty standard sort of practice yes. for so para, para parish uh, activity. <laughs> yes, and so it can cross parishes. That, that's that's the point. You can find people from within the parish, but it doesn't. You know, you, these can be uh, little groupings of people that go across. So we have a group of friends that come, um, and uh, we have an evening where we have uh, a meal, potluck. We pray vespers. Father Brad Elliott gives us a talk on some aspect of Catholic social teaching, uh, and then we have a discussion. And the people who are interested in that aren't exactly the same people who come on Mondays when we when it's just a little men's group that just does vespers, um, and they're coming from uh, you know, different parishes around the area. And none of this is competing with parish life or undermining it. It's providing. Um, a form of community for these people um, and so it's the educational the social the hospitality the charity um, and the prayer the liturgical and so the focus on uh, this week is saying we want to have that structure of liturgical prayer and uh, paraliturgical and personal um, but even if we don't have people to do it with, do it on your own. It's the prayer of community and we will have the fellowship of the Spirit, even of the Holy Spirit, even if we don't have the fellowship of other people. But I do believe that that will come. Yeah. And also to go back to the starting point for this conversation, we were talking about not being a consumer of community or spirituality, not being in the most extreme case, maybe a parasite on community, yeah. <laughs> uh, but trying to be uh, kind of the the host, <laughs> in a sense, uh, being a creator or a, a producer of community, a contributor, a co-creator, and uh, prayer is the the necessary step. Seems like in order to give us the you know you can't give what you haven't received yes. through prayer. We hopefully receive some of God's love or an abundance of God's love, a superabundance, and then that overflows into the community if we're doing it right. Precisely. Um, and that's a good chance to, to mention Father Kirby's book, because that's what his whole book is about. That first mm -hmm. act of love is God's. He has loved us. And our first response is the acceptance of that love. And then our second is to return it to him and to others. And that's yeah. the way that goes. And that's at the that that's what goes on in our hearts if this is to, if this is to happen. So David is referring to uh, Father Jeffrey Kirby's new book that uh, has been released by Pontifex University Press, our little publishing venture, uh, which is called God's Search for Us: Five uh, Five Lessons from the Missing Coin. Yes. Um, from the from the parable of the missing coin, and it's a it's a short volume. It's kind of a general meditation on the nature of God's love and how it's God who seeks us out. Uh, and it also is a timely meditation for Advent 
and it can be found on Amazon. And you had a post up this week that that uh, points to the, the link where people can buy it, I think, at the New Liturgical Movement blog. Yes. So people should be able to find it just by going to your Twitter or your blog, but they can also search for Father Jeffrey Kirby, uh, God's Search for Us. Anyway, getting back to uh, prayer, and uh, you write uh, that prayer is a, a step into eternity. Uh, what do you What do you mean by that? Uh, well, I got this. Isn't my I can't take credit for that. This is Peter Kreeft, who Okay, uh, and he's he. I was really struck by something that he wrote in one of his books. I can't even remember which one now. Uh, in which he said, "Prayer is a way of saving time. If you find room for prayer." Uh, because it is a step into eternity, because we're making contact with God who um, and into the heavenly dimension, if you like, um, it, it is outside time and space and, and our spirits, if you like, are pulling us into that place. Um, and so in a way, he, the way he described it, it made it sound as though we're carving out new time in the day uh, by, by doing this. But... It really, it really struck me that it's it's one of those uh, things that I've noticed is that uh, once I started to do the liturgy of the hours, for example, you think, when am I going to do this? I haven't got the time, and, um, and so you begin somewhere. You just get your foot in the door somehow, create a wedge in the day where you can introduce a little bit of prayer, um, and then what happens is that that the order which that introduces. Um, spreads across the day and you find that more occasions for prayer occur naturally and the more that you do it uh, the easier it is and somehow more the more efficient we are in the things that ought to be done and I can't explain it but it's it's true that's why I've developed this devotion to liturgy of the hours because I began with that one office in the day and that's what seemed to happen I can't explain it either, but I think that there is a reworking of our priorities. And I think that this also ties into the, the principles of the vision for you, which is we spend so much time doing things that we think are working us toward our goals. But uh, a lot of it might really be spinning our wheels if, if we're not on the right exact, you know, if we're not on the right track. And if we can see the the vision for us more clearly the vision the plan that God has for us uh, more clearly that we can hone in on those goals and kind of get rid of all the surplus all the baggage that isn't really getting us closer to that reevaluate our priorities maybe we're spending too much time on things that are sort of strictly monetary in their immediate gain or, or we're sort of focused on some sort of short-term gain but if we can get the have the faith and the the fortitude to sort of put that short-term goal aside and focus on something more long-term uh then we were able to reorder our lives in a way that that still uh you know our, our daily needs are still being met but we're we're on a straighter path to our final destination i, I would say so and, and that that may mean ordering well our activities in pursuit of money if it's if it's done for the right reasons right so I did, i'm not i know that's not what mm. you're suggesting but uh you know some of us are meant to be wealthy um in order to use that wealth wisely i think the um, short i think the short term gain is kind of the one of the key distinctions and i think of the 
the saying of, of Jesus that, you know, seek first the kingdom of heaven and yes. all of these things will be given to you uh, and how that has functioned in my life in a lot of situations where maybe I was hanging on to something, whether okay. it was a job that I was unhappy in. Right. Uh, and as soon as I let go of it and pursued the thing that felt more yes. fulfilling, even if it came at a uh, short term cost, almost it, it's been amazing how quickly something else comes along that gives me what I needed and, and you know even more than what I might right. have had originally. That's terrific. I, I, it's interesting hearing you describe it because my experience is that this happens both through an ordering of the things that we do consciously, but also intuitively in some way, we seem to just find that things happen in an easier way. And that's, in some ways for me, that's as exciting as being able to think clearly, if you know what I mean, that, that I get a sense of something happening beyond me. I, I'm able to, the, the day goes easier in exactly the way you describe but I'm not always consciously making decisions and think mm. in accordance with this principle. Where does it apply here? That, it's, that both of these things are going on. Um, and, uh, but I agree. And uh, it has to be possible to lead a life that is happy and fulfilled. Other, uh, otherwise, that brings into doubt God's love for us, <laughs> I think. Uh, and I... And, uh, and I know that he loves us. So the, it, it, there has, we're always going to struggle. And life, life is never perfect. But there has to be a way that gives us the possibility of what you're describing, I think. Yeah, there's kind of two directions that I want to go next in the conversation before we get back to sort of the template that we had. Yes. And one is uh, to challenge that idea a little bit and say something like, well, what about Job? And I guess... Maybe that one we could just tie up neatly and say that in the end, uh, you know, Job, who for at least for a time did not have a happy life, ended up having everything restored to him. Um, but the other direction, it was just a, th a thought that I had bringing a little bit of the principles of Austrian economics into play, where there's this idea of the roundaboutness of production. Uh, Ludwig von Mises refers to capitalist production as having longer or shorter stages of production. And so if you want to have a more advanced economy, you need to have savers who, through their patience and willingness to forego present consumption, uh, invest in opportunities that have a longer uh, structure of production, where they have to go through more stages of intermediate capital. They're using things like uh, you know, machines, maybe there are even machines that build the parts for the machines, the more advanced machines, and all of this adds up to a, a production process that takes more time from the initial inputs, the mining of the earth minerals and the, the, uh, the labor inputs that are kind of going into it all along the way. But in the end, you get a product that is more advanced, kind of produced more efficiently, uh, and it, it's just through the, <clears throat> the savings and the patience of the, the investors. Um, so I, I don't know if that just kind of occurred to me as an analogy of how some of this process of prayer might work. We have to invest in uh, and you know, have the patience to wait for good things rather than kind of grasp for them. On a, we can get caught up in this rat race where we wake up and rather than 
go to our prayer corner. We just want to start yes. right into our email inbox. But then we find ourselves sitting at our computer wondering, what am I even supposed to be doing today? None of it, none of it matters. <laughs> this can be this existential uh, despair of, you know, what, what's it all about? Uh, but taking that time to pray, I think. I, I, I agree. I, I, I'd like to come back on both of those, actually. So Job. Job yeah. yeah. Now, again, I'm not a, a scripture expert, but I, I did think about this. I even devoted a sort of a section of the, the vision for you about this because of something that the book that's, that struck me when I was writing um, about him. So the first thing that struck me about it was that um, he didn't know these conversations that were going on between God and the devil, uh, God and Satan. So there was a sort of bet, wasn't there? Satan said, I bet <clears throat> that if you let me loose on him and he'll deny you. Um, and at no point did Job acknowledge that he was doing anything wrong. So he, he stuck by the idea that he was, he was a good man. Um, and ultimately... Uh, you know, and he had to work quite a lot of things out, and and you know, there's a lot of chapters in the book of Job, where not only are others berating him, but he's sort of almost berating God and and saying, "Why are you doing this to me? I've been a good man," and I always think of this as the the process whereby he works out uh, the meaning of suffering in a way, and. When I started to read about Job, it, 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 there aren't. It, it seems that it's a little bit of a mystery, even to the, the scripture experts. Uh, the the um, USSCB, well, the, the the conference of Catholic bishops in the US, uh, even says that, you know that encourages us to think about this at a personal level. It doesn't come out definitively on what this means, um, but um, the thing that struck me about this is that. Um, ultimately, uh, God is not a power to be manipulated. So if this doesn't come, we don't get good things because we're good and God is this inanimate force who we are manipulating. If he gives us good, if he gives us bad, it is because he loves us. And we may never know the reasons for, for, for his decisions. It may not be apparent until we're in union with him in heaven, shall we say, uh, because Job never knew the reason for, the, for all that had occurred to him, as far as I could read. Um, he didn't know what the purpose was. God wouldn't tell him, and he just had to accept it. Um, and so I think that uh, that is something that I have to bear in mind, that in, in the long run, uh, Mil uh, who was it? Uh, Keane said, in the long run, we're all dead. Well, in the long run, we're all dead, but as Christians, we then rise from the dead, if you like, and the resurrection of the body, and we're union with, with God. So the long run um, is joyful, and in some, some occasions, that might be what we have to think about. That might be the sacrifice that we make. Um, now, thinking also, I, I was interested in what you said about Austrian economics. You're, you, you know far more about this than I do. I'm interested in it, but you've studied this uh, much more deeply than I have, um, and I think that uh, I think that is a, a good analogy. That uh, that in the end, there there are uh, courses of action. I mean, if, if you think as you were speaking, 
even at the simplest level, what is sin? It is the, the uh, attraction to an immediate and short-term pleasure, which is not in itself necessarily a bad thing, but it's not, it's not the best thing. It's, it's a lesser good than the good which we're meant to be reaching for. And sometimes there can be a denial of pleasure for the greater good. And, and it seems that this is a principle that um, is true in all activities of life, including the economic. I don't see why the economic shouldn't be subject to this um, just like any other. That the benefits we get, if they're all part of the, uh, the, the economy of grace, if you like, that includes the economy of money as well. Uh, there's no re- these things shouldn't be at odds with each other. So that's my reaction to what you what you said. Yeah, a lot of times people equate economic thinking with greed, but I think at its best, economic thinking takes greed as a constant, almost like gravity is in physics, and just tries to figure out what <clears throat> follows from that. Or maybe we could even just say, you know, self-interest. That sometimes, you know, when it uh, matures into or, or when it's distorted into uh, the the sin of greed but something like Austrian economics aims to be a value-free science and just show how rational economic agents are, are not not rational but purposeful uh, economic agents will interact with one another to produce this order that we see yes. what happens when various distortions come into play and the application of value comes into when you start to apply policy or try to influence that, I guess. And here you talk about um, some specific, other kinds of specific prayers. We talked about the seven plus one uh, upon waking, asking God to, to look after us for the day. Um, this can even include some just basic Hygiene and you know habit. Or yeah. What what else goes into that? Okay, so here's the. Um, I, I'm going to set out this structure in uh, in principle. I'm not going to go into great detail. I don't think it's something that it would be very interesting to listen to. I think at some point um, I pretty much prepared the documents that would give a schema that would be in uh, in a, in accordance with this. But I don't know that it's worth describing on air. Um, so the, these are the things that I can do to mark the hour. So at, at its core, it's it's um, the psalms uh, are important, um, and I might use a basic structure of an existing office. So the Paul the Six Psalter, uh, Magnificat, for example, is recommended for lay people, and just let that govern my hours. Um, there are other things that I can do to mark the days when I get up, when I go to bed. Uh, the middle of the day, the middle of the afternoon, the middle of the morning. Um, I actually have tried experiments where I set the alarm for midnight and just get up and do a, a quick prayer and then go to sleep again to see what effect it has. And I've actually maintained that recently, but that's a that's a little experiment. It's not something I'm going to suggest everyone does. But the, why did I do that? Well, it says we rise at midnight to give praise to God. And so I thought, well, what, what happens if you take that literally rather than pushing it round to first thing in the morning which is what a, a lot of communities do does does it re, is it really that bad and i find that it isn't actually so I thought, well if i can do it i'll i'll probably try and do that so I, my alarm goes at midnight and i just do a quick prayer 
with a generic office, uh, which I'll describe in a second. But these are the things that I can do. So the Psalms. Um, I also do every day these exercises from the Vision for You book. So uh, a review of conscience where I look at resentments and fears and I write them down and I ask for forgiveness for the self-centered impulses that gives rise to this unnecessary unhappiness. Um, I write a gratitude list every day. And so those exercises um, I count as one of those occasions of prayer and to make it um, connect it to the office I always begin with a psalm and so because I've got a bad memory and I'm lazy I guess uh, I memorize the shortest psalm which is 116 which is uh, I give which I can't even remember now that the pressure's on but it's a four-line psalm uh, give praise to the Lord all you nations give praise all you peoples for his merciful kindness is more and more towards us and the truth of the Lord endureth forever something like that um, and then I just do eight Jesus prayers and then I close with the way of beauty prayer which is oh God be in our thoughts and words and deeds send your Holy Spirit to guide us that we may be, uh, complete your will grace responding to grace may the beauty of our work inspire those who see it to love as Christ loved that through worship of you <coughs> worship of you and charity to others all may know his peace and joy that's my short generic office and into that so if I if I'm haven't got a book with me I haven't got the songs with me I don't have the Magnificat with me I can always just do that um, and I'm uh, the Psalms are there and then when I do my vision for you exercises I top and tail it with something like that um, and I also do um, at this on the same occasion uh, as, as the this reflection of conscience which is really a sort of meditation uh, I might then include a more structured meditation um, and this could be something about the day, the, the saint for the day, something that I read. Uh, I might choose one of the psalms that I chant for the day and just read it, a little section of it in more detail, something where I'm looking. Or I might contemplate an icon of the, of the feast. So that, that it, I'm thinking about something consciously um, and then I do contemplative prayer where I just repeat the Jesus prayer and just in a state of a alertness I just monitor the thoughts that come into my mind and the good ones I follow through I think they come from God uh, the bad ones I drown out by thinking the Jesus prayer more loudly but I kind of set the clock for at least you know, 20 minutes to half an hour of that uh, and again that's one of those things that I find time to do it after many years of almost ordering my life around these activities. So there is that. Um, so that's meditation and contemplation. Um, and then another thing that I do is uh, for my paraliturgical prayer, I do a litany. And I just, uh, one that I, I do is um, I have my favourite saints. I uh, give praise to the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, then Mary and maybe various names for Mary uh, and ask for her prayers and then sometimes I do the, the, the saints from the canon of the Roman Rite, uh, liturgical prayer number one, all those saints that are listed because I think then that what that's doing is, is connecting me to the Mass in a particular way um, and so one of those occasions would be a litany 
And so I mark an hour with that, top and tailed with Psalm 116 in the way of beauty prayer. And then the other um, occasions, when I go to, when I rise in the morning, I always ask God to look after me that day, and I do that generic office of 116. And when I go to bed at night, I do the same thing. I say, thank you for looking after me. Please look after me tonight on my knees and make that one of those occasions of prayer. And I also um, do Psalm 50 there because it's traditional to say that psalm uh, when you go to bed. Now, this is starting to sound very complicated, I know. Uh, But remember that all this began for me with just one office in the day I think I did morning prayer when I got up and I couldn't even do that regularly uh, so once that had become habitual then I started I started to want to do more and I would add little things create an hour by doing a just marking it with a prayer and then once I'd done that I found that well if I could do that I could just expand that a little bit to become the Psalms or something like that um, the other thing that I would say, I think uh, we'll f- maybe this time to finish th- this week and the actual structure of it, uh, we can go into more next time. We can think about how much we want to actually talk about. Um, but whichever you do, I would also aim for the ideal um, at some point of s- singing the whole Psalter. Whatever uh, cycle of Psalms you choose... Uh, try and do all 150 psalms. And uh, I think the benefits of this are great. That St. Thomas Aquinas says that the psalms contain all of theology um, and they are an integrated whole as well as things that, that can be said and prayed separately. Um, and so that's why I, uh, into my mo- I do morning and evening prayer and whatever else I do, at morning and evening prayer, I uh, use the insert the psalms as specified by the monthly cycle of the Anglican Ordinariate Office. So uh, the morning prayer and evening prayer that was originally set out in the Book of Common Prayer, the Anglican Church, but is now officially uh, validated, if I can use that phrase, by the, by the Church. And the and if you're worried about about this. Uh, my fit, moving things around and cre- uh, the, as lay people, there is a there's quite a lot of flexibility. So we're not bound to an order. So we can, uh, it, as long as the prayer is intrinsically good, no one is going to say what we're doing is a bad thing. But even then, according to the general structure, uh, general instructions of the liturgy of the hours, you are entitled for public prayer in a church in an official vespers or something uh, to. Uh, use rather than the prescribed prayers of the office that you're using to use any psalms which are which are generally said at that hour and and are approved for the for that hour so it's quite legitimate to say i'm using the magnificat structure but for evening prayer i'm going to use the psalms for that day from the book of common prayer or for morning prayer rather than the psalms that magnificat gives me because they're limited. I don't get all the psalms if I follow Magnificat. Uh, I'm going to use the, the morning prayer psalms from uh, the Anglican Ordinariate Office. Uh, so that's something that I would, I would suggest that people think about. Okay, so the only 
uh, I won't call it a rigid suggestion, but your your uh, main suggestion outside of the, the the bigger template that sounds a little bit more complicated is praying a cycle of the Psalms, and you can get that singing a cycle of the Psalms, and you can find that cycle. Say it one more time. Well, in the 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 Book of Common Prayer, which is the Anglican uh, office, which it has a, a daily schedule within it. Yes, so and, and within that you'll find the Psalter set out on a 30-day cycle, 30 day. morning and evening prayer, so monthly, effectively. Okay. Uh, you stick to, to monthly, and that is approved by the Catholic Church as part as the prayer of the Anglican Ordinariate. Yeah, and this uh, makes me think of the, the idea that when we pray, we're also asking the Holy Spirit to teach us how to pray. And so whatever you start with, as long as you have that sense of the Holy Spirit guiding you into all truth, that you, you can trust that new prayers will kind of come into your repertoire as you're able to, to add them, maybe. Yes. And, and I find that in my personal prayer life, what happens is I, I, I start to add things and uh, it grows and grows. And then periodically I have a severe pruning Mm -hmm. come back to basics and then it, it starts to grow again yeah and i might order things so yeah well beautiful i hope that <clears throat> people will get as much of this out of this conversation as i did it's it's balm for my soul to think about all the possibilities for uh becoming more of a, a religious layperson i guess we'll say okay thank you you've been listening to the way of beauty podcast conversations on catholic faith and culture if you enjoyed this episode then please give us a five-star review on itunes this will help others to find it too also if you are interested in delving more deeply into the material that we discuss you can do a course at the pontifex university website that's pontifex.university